0: Thanks to you our listeners, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio is growing and is now available on more stations such as Facebook Video, Player.fm, iTunes, Verbal, and now on Amazon Audible. KRBN Internet News Talk Radio currently does not receive any funding to bring you these programs. However, we do ask that you hit that like button and tell your friends to help this station grow. And thank you again for your support Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, where it's breezy, windy, rainy, wet, and it's been a hell of a week with ice on the roads and all that stuff, so I'm happy to be inside doing the Bose Nose Show and just you know, making myself available to the folks of Lane County and anyone else that wants to call in at 646-721-9887. And don't forget to press one so we know you want to talk because we do get people that call into the show to listen because they're away from their computers. And, you know, if they're in the car or whatever and they have hands free, uh, it works really well to listen to Bose Nose Show live. Uh, just dial in and, and listen away. So 646 646- 721-9887. Don't forget to press one and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the show. And we have a guest on today's show. So you can also call that number to, and ask our guest a question because we're talking to Kyle Blaine today, who has put his hat in the ring for the East Lane County Commissioner's seat. So he wants to be a fellow Lane County Commissioner with myself. and uh, Kyle, welcome to the Bose Nose Show.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: So, Kyle, uh, you know, other than, you know, having a moment of temporary insanity like I did and deciding to be a Lane County Commissioner, let's talk a little bit about who Kyle is. So that, you know, folks can get to know you a bit, might might uh, stimulate somebody to call in and ask further questions. But, you know, sure. where did you grow up? You know, you know. What, you know, what'd your family do? You know, what'd you do growing up? You know, um, tell us a little bit about Kyle.
1: Yeah, so uh, I was born and raised here in Eugene, Um, West Eugene, actually grew up in the the Bethel area, Dana Boe Cascade, that area, and then um, went, ended up going to Marist High School. My whole family kind of went through there. Um, So I went there. Uh, My parents owned a a small construction company specializing in uh, custom home building, Uh, small commercial buildings, stuff like that. And so they've, they ran that for about 30, 35 years, um, along with my uncle Frank, um, who also uh, had a company too. And so they kind of worked together on and off. And um, yeah, so I kind of grew up here, went to Marist, played sports, um, ended up going up to Oregon State for school. Um, And then, you know, I worked on and off. Uh, with my dad's company and um, as a project manager as just a basic laborer through high school and middle school and kind of learning the trade, um, which is great. Like I really enjoyed that. It kind of gave me, you know, a work ethic, um, an idea of, of kind of what I really wanted to do long-term. I liked building. I liked the process, but I didn't necessarily want to be uh, the one out there every day in the rain and cold, and so I was like, let's let's figure out something else. Let's uh, let's stay in the world, but but move move on. Um, so I tried, you know, I worked in a few different areas after college. Um, you know, I I started a, a small insurance company, ran that for four or five years, um, which was great. And then, you know, I still wanted to get back into the the real estate building sector, um, so I kind of self taught myself and read a bunch about private lending on real estate and kind of what that entails and being kind of a niche lender in the market for folks that are, you know, building from ground up spec home, commercial construction, fix and flip, you know, lower income housing, mobile home parks, things like that. Um, And I got an opportunity with a great firm here in town and kind of did that for the last seven years. Um, And that's gone, that's gone really well. It's, It's taught me a lot about, Um, land use code development, um, you know, hearing from, from builders and contractors and and kind of their needs, working with the cities and the counties on permitting and processes, um, which can be a little arduous to say the least. Um, and so that's kind of given me, you know, a lot to, to bring to the table as far as our current needs today. Um, And along with that is as I kind of developed through that, um, I ended up running for Coburg City Council. So I've been on the the city council for about four years. Um, I live out here now, um, have a family. I have four boys um, and my wife, Christy. And so um, we love it here. It's a great little small community. Um, That's kind of why I got involved is I wanted to make sure that – you know, I, I gave back to the community, you know, it's kind of my idea of here's some, some community service, you know, help any way I can with any of the expertise that I have. Um, and I turned out, I just really enjoyed it. Um, it's been a, a cool experience to see where Coburg, even the last six years has developed and grown and, um, having a, a little hand in that, that's been pretty cool to, to see. So, um, that kind of, you know, it, Kind of got me in the political world about thinking about well what what's the county doing what's the state doing and and kind of just opened open the door for it i guess and um when i started researching and talking to folks you know talking to you jay and getting a feel for you know what the the issues are in the county um i decided you know i i feel like there can things could be done a little bit better and we should maybe go a different direction um and so that's kind of why I decided to throw my name in the hat. I, you know, I'm a local kid, grew up here, love it here, don't want to leave. Um, so I figured if, if there's anything I can do to help um, keep Lane County on the right track or adjust the track that we're on to to make it better is, is my goal. So. Yeah. Well,
0: it sounds like a, you know, really great background based on, you know, we're, we're currently starting the process to update our strategic plan at lane county and part of that was kind of a community questionnaire we had out there not a very scientific one because it was through the web but the number Mm -hmm. one issue that comes up on everybody's radar is housing and 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 or homelessness or combinations of those things some description around affordable housing um and it sounds like you know so you kind of grew up at, at your dad's side, you know, who who is building houses, you work for your dad, you know, and and manage these projects. Yeah. Kind of know what it takes to actually build a house and what what causes it to be more expensive or less expensive and and a really good understanding of of that housing issue um you know, which has you know, that that practical knowledge and then on top of that, now you've moved into the financing of of housing, which, of course, due diligence for financing means you have to check into everything, not just, yeah. <laughs> not just how much does the construction cost. Is is it even going to be permittable under the current codes and everything else? Because, you know, you kind of start some of that financing at the front end of the projects. Um, so you kind of got to get an understanding of that. So now you've got that interaction of, how does the permitting system start impacting some of that and then how does the financing the project so you have a a view of the housing um system and how housing gets supplied that's pretty unique and a great background you know, you know yeah i mean talk talk a little bit about what you kind of see is, you know, some of the barriers that have been put up by, and it doesn't have to be by county government, but just by government in general to affordable sure. housing and, and some of the things that, you know, maybe we ought to start taking a look at that would help us make it cheaper, easier, faster to get housing built.
1: Yeah. Um I mean, honestly, I think just the cost to develop uh, a lot in, in any part of Lane County. I mean, some are worse than others, obviously, but it's so expensive. It's so time consuming. Um, I mean, the SDC fees seem to be outrageous most of the time, the the timeline to get permits and, and get utilities and all of that is past that.
0: Remember, we're talking to a broad audience. What's this, right? what's SDC? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so like system development charges. So getting, you know, uh, like getting the, the the lot ready, getting all of your your uh, permitting, getting the building code, the land use, all of that that stuff situated with with whatever municipality, the, the county or the city or, or you know wherever you're you're located. Um, those are kind of the the soft cost to getting into the build, right? And then that all tacks onto the land cost, the the contractor cost, the the build cost. Um and so as you add all of that up, I mean you could be sixty thousand dollars in before you put a stick in the ground, right? And so you're buying a hundred fifty thousand dollar lot, you got sixty grand into just the city to allow you to build. Um I mean it's it, it turns the property into a half a million dollar property overnight just because that's the cost to do it, to, to get your if you're a Rust builder or even a homeowner trying to build your own home, um it, it's just a huge hurdle for a lot of people. And I think if we're about, we we talk so much about low income housing. um, There's not a lot of builders that are willing to do that because it's so expensive to do it, uh, especially with, uh, you know, what they want from you as far as the the quality of the build and, you know, green and and certain areas only. And then they have added costs for, you know, just kind of the specifics of the, the way the home is going to look. And so it's like if, if we're truly building low income housing to get people from you know, maybe moving to the street to, to being in a home. Um, I think we really need to look at changing our building code and our costs for private industry to come in and actually help the, the city and our community build true low-income housing that gives them an opportunity to actually make it affordable per door. You know, so if you're building a six-unit apartment building, but it's going to be low-income, if you did that today, I mean, you're looking at like 145,000, 180,000 dollars per door for a build cost. That's that's not low-income housing, you know. That's a multi-million-dollar building, right? And so, um, if we can do that, cut that cost by a third or whatever that number might be, and the city helps with that or the county helps with that to get these people into these homes, I think there's going to be a lot more private industry that wants to help because people want to help. But if there's too much of a cost and too much of a risk for them and they don't they can't make any sort of money or they're going to end up having to pay back into it 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 just doesn't make sense for most people and so for me low-income housing isn't just subsidized by the government it needs to be subsidized by our community members and it has to make sense for them
0: yeah and I, i you know i think you know one of the things you're sort of describing too is this there's a real difficulty sometimes in putting Together, housing types that could be low income, just mm-hmm. because of the design standards built into some of our zoning codes. Um, yeah, I'm originally from the East Coast. I'm a transplant. I was kind of shocked when I moved into this area that you just don't see townhomes anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> no row homes, no townhomes. It's you know, all either it's either apartments or single family. It's like one or the other. There's there's a couple townhome developments here and there, um, but you don't see, you know, those were being built, you know, a, a lot of those were being built back east even, you know, as I left in the 90s because that was kind of that somewhere between renting an apartment and buying a single family home. You could, you know, a lot of, you know, young couples could afford to buy a row home as that first place actually had principal investment in that would grow with the value of the home. Um, And it's just, I just don't see those being built here partly because I just, it's, the code's not really set up for them. So that, that flexibility in the code needs to be there too.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, we've, you know, I've, I've done projects in different areas, you know, throughout Oregon and, and a couple other states and and you know Portland metro has a few areas that'll do that but if you can do that in certain parts of the city that it makes sense to have a significant number of row homes that people can transition from an apartment as they move up and they get comfortable or they're a young family or whatever happens then they can purchase their own town home like that's a phenomenal opportunity they're building equity they're saving on taxes they're you know really giving back to the community as a whole they're taking care of their property um it's it's a big deal, and I don't think that our county and cities have been- you know paying attention to that i think that's has to happen
0: yeah my my yeah. first home you know my wife and i's first home was a row home uh, an old brick row home built gosh had to be in the fifties i think um in the yeah Baltimore suburbs of Towson, um inside unit not an end of unit you know, I couldn't afford one of those end units and uh that was <laughs> our that was our first piece of equity that we started building um and having that 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 equity allowed us to build you know to purchase our first single family home um
1: yeah,
0: exactly so that that's uh you know that sort of you know the stair steps seem to be missing here you know you're either renting a place and rents are way too high because you know we've done a lot to even constrain the production of rental housing here and yeah. and um you're either renting or you're purchasing something that's you know even stuff back in your old Bethel neighborhood <laughs> yeah that was built in the 50s and 60s is starting at yeah. $350,000 you know and jumping oh, it's from unbelievable Yeah. Jumping from a rental to that just for a lot of young couples is not possible. So they end up paying, paying rent, even though the mortgage, you know, 80% mortgage on one of those, if they have the down payment, which that's the big, big thing that most of them can't afford, um, would be lower than a lot of rents, that monthly mortgage payment.
1: (laughs) Well, especially with the current interest rate climate that is below, well below 4%, you know, the last three, four years. I mean, it's, it's a great time if you can do it. The problem is is the the cost of entry is too high. I mean for a a middle income home, I mean yeah, you're looking at 350 to 400 and those are almost impossible to find cuz they're gone overnight and they're usually investor based and so somebody that comes in and can offer cash or you know quick closes and that sort of thing takes the first time home buyer out of the market. Yeah. Um, and that's that's troubling. Um, not to mention like the the average rents have just significantly increased, as you mentioned, year over year. Um, I think we're at average median rent for the Eugene area is like $1,900 or something. I mean, it is, it's is—it's way up there. Last year, this time, I think it was at like 1690 And so, I mean, it's significantly increasing because there's nowhere for people to live and the demand is, is outrageous. Um, I, it blows me away how many people are able to actually afford that right now um or they're not but somebody's still in those those places which is which is interesting because those people should be able to buy a town home you know or a starter home somewhere that actually is feasible
0: yeah uh, you know i think my mortgage principal interest and in taxes included is 2400 right
1: yeah. right yes yeah. and,
0: and and i've yeah. got an acre and a half out here in the country um so right yeah, you you think about, you know, 1900, yeah, you could be paying a mortgage on something that's 350 to 400 if you could find it. And if you had the other 20% down payment. So it's kind of that, that we have to do things um, here in Lane County and the state of Oregon and have people that are willing to advocate it for that make it easier to build, you know, and things like that mean things like, you know, expanding urban growth boundaries and um, making more land available to be built on. Because one of the, you know, one of the first costs in a house is how much did the raw land cost um, as you are purchasing it to to subdivide that, to mm-hmm. do that subdivision? You know, what's that, that land cost? Well, if there's not a whole lot of developable raw land, that price per acre just keeps going up and up and up
1: yeah yeah and that, absolutely
0: that's the first piece you got so the more land you make available that's allowed to be developed that starts you know keeping that price down and then just trying to do things that make it easier or more flexible you know and not adding a bunch of new fees and and all that and yeah yeah if you go back and listen to the bo's nose show you'll hear a couple you know issues i've brought up brought forward where you know there's been a desire to add things like a stormwater fee Mm -hmm. out in lane county that's just one more cost of owning a home or if you're renting it's going to be passed
1: on to you you know yeah exactly it always gets passed on to the renter um i yeah that's that's a good point because like you know in Coburg we don't have stormwater so it runs into you know the streets or the yards or you know whatever it be or your neighbor's yard right and so you know, it, it'd be really difficult to be in a rural area without stormwater and have a stormwater fee to, to basically keep the ditch clean. You know, it's just, that doesn't make any sense. Like if, if you're going to do it, then you need to give these people access to get that water actually away from their properties. Um, it, which out there, it's just, it's impossible. It costs too much. Um, but you know, I, I think that, yeah, that's a really good example of, of just kind of the, the knickknack fees that, that just slowly add up. And by the time you're done, I mean, You're in a totally different price point than you originally thought. Um, And I deal with clients a lot that they want to buy just a basic three-bedroom, two-bath starter home, you know, in any of the rural communities, you know, wherever they can find one. And I mean, they are $150,000 off, $140,000 off in price point because there's there's nothing there. I mean, nothing against Hayden Homes, but they come in and they build these huge neighborhoods really quickly, and they're all selling for $500,000 now. I mean, ten years ago they were like 250, and I get that a lot of that's just kind of the marketplace. But yeah. um, they control they control the business, right? And so it's like if we can reduce those costs, those builders r- will build more of those at a better price point. They're not going to keep jumping, but they have to add that cost onto the the end user every single time, and that just ends up pushing that number up and up and up.
0: So. Now, speaking of Hayden Homes, back when I was doing civil engineering and working for branch engineering, they were one of my clients, and I did their Mm -hmm. first development that they did on this side of the mountains because they actually came out of bed. Right. Uh, And uh, it was – their intention was to try and build at the price point that was just above a manufactured home. Yeah. a stick-built home, you know, one level slab on grade basically yeah you know yeah. And, and and little posted stamp lots everything was done to try and keep the cost down but the idea was it was supposed to be entry-level housing for mm-hmm. um you know the young co- in fact one of our young surveyors who is as married to one of our draft people you know the, the draftsman yeah. designer, Back then, there were draftsmen. <laughs> Kat hadn't quite taken over, um, showing my age. Um, and uh, the, the, uh, they bought one of those homes, and and it went up in value like you wouldn't believe. And that little Hayden Gardens there on mm-hmm. Jasper uh, and 32nd um, is a is prime example of a little neighborhood that's just a, a gem for people trying to get into the market. But those things have gone up and up and up. And I watched Hayden Homes over time as they were, you know, they got that property and were able to develop it at a cost per lot that they could build into that price point. And now yeah. we're getting this issue of um people uh building into these um buying these subdivisions and I you know whether it's Cresswell or out here in Venita with Hayden homes that the base cost of, of the land, the streets, the water, the sewer systems, they have to put in to serve each lot, the electricity and, and everything else. By the time they start building a home, they have to build into that half million dollar range to recoup the cost of the land and the infrastructure. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. You absolutely have to. There's no way around it.
0: So definitely, um, something we need to, to to work on is how can we get back to that hayden gardens sort of housing or even yeah. you know like at a townhome or something that people can afford yeah. as a young cool. couple
1: right and a good example out in that jasper area is there's there's some small mobile home park developments that are actually mobile homes on their own lots with normal streets and that's a significant like way to bring that first-time home buyer they have their own land they buy their own mobile home. They can they can you know buy their own, fix it up, do whatever they need to do. They can build a little garage on it. That's and they're they're nice and they're they're cheaper than a Hayden home. They're the, the cost entry is you know reasonable, and that's a great place to start. If we had opportunities like that where you can build these nice little communities, I guarantee you, investors and you know uh, people would come in and want to build those, and people would would snatch them up. I mean, you look at – you know, I've done some infill stuff throughout Springfield uh, where you, you buy a little lot and you place a nice brand-new manufactured home on a lot, you know, on a foundation, permanently affixed, and you build a little one- or two-car garage next to it. Those things are gone in days, and they're, they're just under the market for a single-family home, but they're way nicer, and they're all brand-new. It's like how are we not, like, using that as – Here's your low income housing, here's your first time home buyer, here's your, you know, retiree that just wants to enjoy life and travel in their RV but they want to, you know, a quaint small home. This is those are the people that need these opportunities and we yeah. we don't hit that mark.
0: Yep. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I'll pause for a second just to remind people again of the call in here. 646-721-9887 and uh you know, anytime somebody wants to call in and ask Kyle a question, they can feel free. And it's six four six seven two one nine eight eight seven, and uh, we can get you on with Kyle to ask him a question, or if you have a question for me and you want to take us in a different direction a little bit, but Kyle I, I want to talk a little bit about your experience as you know as a city councilor maybe and and just you yeah.
1: know you know
0: having been in government and involved one of the things about being a civil engineer, and you know this from being in the housing field is I've dealt with government a lot. You
1: know, because yeah. if
0: you're getting permits, you're dealing with government. I actually, you know, did subdivisions and I actually in, and also did projects directly for the government inf- infrastructure projects, you know, uh, street improvements or whatever else. So I had a pretty good working knowledge of government, but there's a big difference between dealing with government and actually being an elected official or, you know, a city uh, in my first elected position was on the Lane Community College Board, there's a whole different sort of learning curve that helps, you know, that you've had and I had it at LCC that helps prepare you to be a commissioner. And that's about just being an elected official in Oregon. There's a couple of tricky things. Uh, and, you know, you're probably aware of things like public meetings law, uh, Oregon's budget you know, the accounting for city is a whole lot different than the accounting for your for your uh, uh, finance firm, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Just a little bit about just that kind of that experience and the learning you've had as a city councilor that carries over to being a commissioner.
1: Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I I came in green, you know, into into city council. Um, there was there was a seat available. Somebody uh, ended up moving away from the area, and so. Um, I threw my name in the hat with, with two other people, um, ended up getting the the opportunity. Um, the great thing about, I, I mean, I have to give a lot of credit to our mayor, Ray Smith and staff at, in Tilbury for a small community. They've done an incredible job. They have an onboarding system. You know, I got this, this binder full of like all the rules and laws and regulations and kind of how the process works. And, um, you know, they kind of just walked me through it. So I, I learned rapidly. Um, so the first three to four months, like I felt like I was kind of hit the ground running at that point. Um, but the, you know, the biggest takeaway for me is like you mentioned, like being in a council meeting and, and the way it's supposed to run, um, the processes, the laws, the, the regulation in there. Um, is really important. I mean, that's something that is. It takes a little bit of a time to get comfortable in it, understand what's coming next, how to how to you know interject in a conversation, or you know if there's public hearings and and listening to them and then, then re- having a rebuttal. Um, and then you know the finance laws is big and, and aggressive, you know, in the state of Oregon, and so that's a little daunting. But um, you know, the the more you do it, you know, over the last four years you know, I sit down and I read those beforehand, you know, that week and get comfortable with kind of questions or, you know, where we're at and then, you know, be able to have good good staff that are explaining the the, the rules and, and what that looks like and why it's this way versus, you know, something else. So, you know, like when taxes come in and you're at a deficit and then it, you know, and so the, all of that stuff has been an incredible learning experience, which, you know, watching, you know, your commission meetings, it's, it's a very similar process. Um, And then, you know, getting to know the constituency, I think, is is huge. I mean, small community in Coburg is helpful um, because you get to know people, you get to know the businesses, you get to actually interact with them and have real conversations to be like, what are your issues? How can we help? You know, what are you working on? Um, And I'm hoping that I can bring that to you know, East Lane County too, because I, I live in East Lane County. I live in a small community. You know, we spend a lot of time up and down I-5 into Crestwell and Cottage Grove and East out to Oak Ridge. And, um, you know, those are areas that that I, I think need somebody to listen to them. And I think having my experience in that small community is, is something that I can bring to the table and, and actually be a, a real change for them.
0: Yeah. I, I really appreciate that experience because I, you know, one of the things that. Interesting is is understanding how budgets work and the the flow of money in government where we have to keep these reserves on hand because we get all of our money at different times of the year, but we have to keep paying money out to employees and other things all year round. So you have to have these reserves and people sometimes don't really understand why we have have these reserves at the end of every budget year and why we can't be just spending that money. And I have to explain to people how we go negative <laughs> until yeah. November when the property taxes come in. So we have to have a certain amount right. of money left over at the end of the year to get us to November. <laughs>
1: right. No, that's and, a great example. We, in council last night, we actually had that conversation because we, you know, the previous, I think it was last year or the year before, we went, or it was last year because we went negative uh you know before property taxes and all that came in and then you know the following quarter we're we're good to go and this year we're ahead because we got some you know relief funds from you know the the federal government that's the only reason we're you know in the positive right now but that's that's just how it works we know it every year everybody's prepared for it and we know that once those property taxes hit we're back running where we were and so it's just you know keeping that that buffer in there
0: yeah, you got to maintain that reserve, you know, that, and that's kind of that what they refer to as operational reserve. And then, then, of course, there's other reserves you have to keep, you know, which are for you know un, unexpected emergencies. Because as a yeah. as a government, you know, you have to be able to fix the pipe that breaks or the pump that goes down in the water system, or you know, whatever. You know, if there's a big windstorm or something like that that causes some damage to city hall you know, you have to fix it then. You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, there's no waiting.
0: Yeah. And it's not exactly you have an insurance company, you know, like a homeowner or something that might come back and pay the bill later or something like that. But, you know, even then, you know, uh, you know, Lane County and I'm sure the city of Coburg does have insurance for various things, but there's usually a really high deductible on those insurance, those those yeah. municipal government insurance you know, things. So you have to keep reserves for that. So having all that knowledge coming into the Commissioners thing you, you get that finance side of things and and I, and I you know noticed one of the things you're kind of proud of on on in your bio is is that you've actually helped with your financial background you know steady the hand there in the city of Coburg on the finance side and make sure that they are staying uh, stable and and have the correct reserves and, and they're not getting into trouble. Um you know one of the one of the unhappy things I've had to do as a commissioner is help rescue the city of Oak Ridge um when they had trouble about eight eight years ago or so um at where they didn't pay attention to their finances and things got sideways and they ran out of money and we actually had to provide them a, a loan from county funds to get them to the next November um, and all yeah. that it, you know, not a good place for a city to be and definitely a place you never want to see the county go because, you know, the city, you know, is certain size. The county is, you know, a 700 million-plus behemoth in comparison as far right. as climate goes. So you never want to see the county, you know, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> to get through to November.
1: Um, yeah. Oh, but, absolutely. But I, yeah, I, I mean, you know, an example of that is, you know, we've – We've done a good job in the in the county, or I'm sorry, in the city, um, you know, that, that I worked on and, and the other uh, counselors about making sure that all those individual, you know, funds have those reserves. And a good example was um, just recently we just, you know, one of our chlorine um, filters in the water system went out, you know, and it's like, thank God we had a, a significant reserve and we we replaced it and put it right back to work. Um, you know, 10 years ago, eight years ago in Coburg, we would have probably been stuck or stealing money from the general fund or, you know, borrowing money from somebody to fix that. And that would have been a huge issue for us. Uh, but being able to to get that city, the small city on the right track, allocate the funds properly, keep those reserves, and then hopefully have a little bit of surplus every year so then we can look at a capital improvement project or you know fixing the streets or you know whatever it ends up being you bring in broadband you know high fiber into into coburg things like that that is that is where like the benefit is of of being fiscally responsible not overspending, and saving those those funds for for rainy days because they're going to happen yeah
0: so one of the things that the city of coburg has that um you know is unique to not True for all small cities in Lane County is you guys have your own police department, don't you? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you've you've had to budget for and, and oversee as a com, as a counselor law enforcement services, and I understand that's one of your, one of your interests in in being a commissioner is maybe the lack of focus on law enforcement and you know as we talk about being good financially, there's also this issue of prioritize. And, and priorities, sure. where you spend your money. You know, tell me a little bit about public safety and and what what you would like to see.
1: Yeah, I so having our you know most small cities our size we have just over thirteen hundred people in, in Coburg. Uh, very few cities our size have our own police force, and we have a phenomenal um, chief Larson who who does a, a great job. He's transparent. He's open um you know he he's always looking a way to 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 save money not cost the city money he's not always asking but the reason we have them is because they give our community members such a sense of relief that if something does happen at, at their property or a break in or a traffic accident or whatever might happen those guys are are on site they live here they live around here um they're, they're on call. You can call, I mean, you can call and text the chief anytime. He gives out his card to everybody. Um, They're approachable, they're available, and they're seen. Um, The best part about it too is, you know, as far as our financing goes is we've, he's been able to, to drive, you know, uh, fundraising events, um, donations, things like that, that help them. And then we've able, been able to, to allocate funds to them to, to get what we needed. So we have I think we have eight officers currently, um, three are full time. Um, you know, we've partnered with Harrisburg, so we send you know uh, I think forty hours a week up to Harrisburg for for patrol. Um, so we have a good relationship with them. Um, you know, we've been able to, to save enough money, allocate funds properly. We're, we've we've been able to buy a couple new uh, vehicles that, you know, cause we've been using old outdated stuff from hand-me-downs from Clackamas or hand-me-downs from Pendleton, you know, and so they're beat up, they got a bunch of miles on them. Um, so we've been able to to buy newer ones still used, but newer ones and, and get them in safe vehicles that'll actually, you know, get out to the community. And um, I think the biggest thing is having a solid police force, you know, sheriff's office, whatever it may be, that is transparent, you know you can work with them and we can find ways to, to fund them properly so they can actually do what they're supposed to do they want to be there to help our citizens and when they don't have access or they don't have the ability to get there or funding to get there um that's a problem i had a conversation with somebody just the other day that they live out uh, just north of, of Coburg, and there was you know somebody trespassing on their property and you know she called four hours later the sheriff's office calls and they're like, yeah, did, did he leave yet? She's like, I don't know. It's 11 o'clock at night. I'm not going out there at night to see if he's there. She's home you know, with her daughter and it's just like, no, that, that guy needs to drive by there and make sure that this trespassing isn't turning into a burglary or something worse and just move him on. And in Coburg, if she lived in Coburg, you could call them and they'd come and be like, Hey, can you move it on, sir? I know it's a smaller community, but still it's like, we, we got to have that that connection with our law enforcement and our citizens need to know that they're going to show up if we call them in, in, in a moment of need. And I don't think it's any fault of the, the sheriff's deputies or anybody on their own, but I think it's just a global issue for the county. It needs to be a priority.
0: Yeah, and, and it's it is an issue and it's a resource issue
1: yeah. in our ability to yeah.
0: actually fund the sheriff's department adequately. And, you know, there's been some choices made you know by the current board to fund a climate action committee you know at the cost of basically two more deputies um, right. to, to increase the office budgets for commissioners so that you know you know they could hire some some interns for temporary help and stuff like that It's you know where they're choosing to spend their money sometimes is not always where I think our citizens would prioritize because the next thing down below housing for our citizens in some of those surveys was crime.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Match that, you know? Yeah. I mean, if you've ever been broken into or had to deal with, with some sort of crime, I mean, it is, it is scary and it is a real effect on people. And if you know, if you don't know if that, that person you call that's supposed to protect you and and your neighbors doesn't, you don't know when they're going to show up. That's a scary feeling. And especially if you're in a rural community where it maybe does take a little longer to get out there, but if you don't know, they're going to come at all, like, you know, what are you supposed to do? You're just going to hang on and hope that nothing terrible happens. If, if something, you know, comes your way, it's just, it's, and it gives the, the criminals a sense of power too, because they know, I mean, they're smart enough to know that they've either been in jail and kicked right back out, or whatever the situation might be, and they go up into a rural community. They know there's only one officer, no officers, depending on the time of day, that are up patrolling that area, so they have time to get away. It's just, it's a problem.
0: Yeah, one of our issues, you know, for and this goes how crime intersects housing costs is a lot of contractors are experience a high level of theft from tools to to their tow vehicles, you know, yeah. to, to, you know, the entire tool, tool trucks, you know, and, and to,
1: you know, the copper,
0: from yeah. you know, disappearing, you know, overnight from the electrician roughs in the, the electrical. And the next day they come back and it's gone, you know?
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so, we've had multiple trailers stolen, you know, for, for work. And um, those were parked, you know, at our, property or, you know, our spot where normally we parked and they'd, they'd come in, open a gate and pull it out of there. If it wasn't, you know, and cut a lock and, um, those are, those are tough. And then if job sites have the same thing, you know, houses locked up, broken into windows, broken and gotten into. And, um, yeah, that's, that's not a good thing.
0: Yeah. Believe we may actually have somebody that's calling in, um, with a question. Uh, okay. Harry? Um, you have a question for Kyle, or did you want to take the conversation a little bit different direction
2: um i I guess a little of both um Jay, uh, so so this is uh harry I, I may recognize me from uh you know famous event such as the county commissioners uh meetings um but I was watching a replay of the last one and uh chair Bernie was mentioning in regards to the perpetual state of emergency that um I think a lot of the constituents are questioning and and losing faith in their, in their local government because we seem to be led by the nose. But commissioner Bernie said, uh, if the County administrator says there is no downside, uh, and what he was referring to was giving the County administrator more power. That doesn't seem like the right person to be asking. And, uh, I, I appreciate commissioner Bozovich speaking to that. And, um, I, so I've actually had, uh, some friends bring up uh, Kyle Blaine as as a uh, candidate for for this next election, and uh, somebody who who might be a good choice to support. And you know one thing I was going to point out that I think a lot of people I, you know i I'm, I'm in uh, the the river Road area, um, which may or may not be uh, Commissioner Bozovich now, who was Commissioner Farr. <laughs> um, but I, I've seen how Commissioner Buck has, has really, in my opinion, failed to h- make the holiday farm fire a priority until election time. Now it seems like something's being done. But to me, that's, that's something that East lane uh, residents, you know, really hits home. You know, literally it's, it's uh, such an important thing. And so, you know, I I was just curious, I I don't know if you guys had already discussed that earlier. I tuned in a little late, but um, yeah, I was wondering if uh, Kyle would like to speak to that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate the call. Um, Yeah. I, so I've had, a little bit of experience up there. I've had some some friends and, and things that that have lost properties. Um, I've had clients call me that you know are looking for help to to get rebuilt there because you know insurance companies are permitting everything's taking longer, um, and they needed you know gap funding and bridge funding. And um, so I've, I've had a, had some experience there. I think the biggest issue for me is just how long it took the county to make a decision and go in there and help these people. I think. You know, they, they, they weren't prepared for this, even though we seem to have massive fires every other year now. seems like that should be something that everybody sees coming. Um, I think the the inability to, to work with all the homeowners to get that, get them back into their homes as quickly as possible, um, you know, having the, the delays, the permit issues, um, changing the, the flood plan situation. So it's made it harder now for people to build better near the rivers or in, in low wetland floodland areas. Um, all of those things are huge problems when people have lost everything. And if you're actually going to do what's best for your citizens, you make that number one priority, you know, and you come in and you do whatever you can to get that taken care of. You let the red cross in, you let, you know, federal funds or state funds come in immediately. You change up some of your normal policies so you can get this stuff fixed and you get it fixed quickly. And I don't feel like, um, you know, our current, commissioner did that in, in in that county and i think that that was a huge huge mistake
2: yeah it, it it seems to me like that only matters to her when when the elections come around and that's really disappointing you know we're we're talking about homeless issues and um you you could prevent people from being homeless if you let them rebuild their homes and you um, you know throw throw resources at, at hiring temporary permit officers the way we've hired you know thrown resources at Hiring and spending money on on the pandemic, so um, I, I think yeah. we have a lot of misplaced priorities. And I, and I appreciate you gentlemen uh, discussing, you know, how how we can kind of fix some of that. Um, because I I think this is a great county. There's a great path forward, but it takes people willing to to make these hard decisions. That uh, that that fortitude just doesn't seem to be there with the current commission.
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, just as you know, just for data purposes. I mean, so there's about 464 dwellings, 465 dwellings lost. And we're at about 36% of those that have, that have even been issued permits, you know, 166 that, and it's been, you know, far too long for that. It should be double, triple that number. Um, it it just seems like there was such a lack of, of effort put into it, which just blows me away. I just, it's crazy. Yeah,
0: well, you know, having,
1: having been on the
0: commission while this was all going on, you know, a lot of what, you know, hiring the extra staff and all that, that eventually happened. It's just how long it took to pull the trigger on deciding right. to, to do some of this stuff. Um, almost every county that suffered um, during the Labor Day fires, like Lynn County, Marion County, Douglas County within a couple of weeks had announced they were going to waive permit fees for fire victims. It, yeah. took, it took over four months before we addressed that. The county commissioners, you know, did, you know, it? it that's, and it took us, you know, well into the next year to, to authorize hiring additional staff at land management. Um, it's mm-hmm. just how long it took us to act. Um, and at the same time, right after you know we were in the starting the process of amending our floodplain ordinance before the fire um the fire happened and then we were continuing that process i was very clear to the the board of commissioners how the new ordinance was going to hamper fire victims ability to rebuild particularly in blue river which is all in the floodplain the town of blue river is entirely covered by floodplain so yeah. so with that knowledge, they thought they wrote some kind of exemption, which they didn't write a good one, and I explained exactly why their exemption didn't cover the entire new code. They still voted for it because the environmentalists told them that that's what they wanted them to do. They wanted to make it harder for people to build along streams and rivers in rural Lane county because if it's up to the environmentalists, no one would build any new housing outside of city limits (laughs) yeah and it yeah Yeah,
1: i mean what's really
0: funny is a lot of the environmentalists that push that live out in the in the county of course so it's like they got theirs no one else is allowed to have theirs but you know it it just amazed me that and that process to adopt the floodplain ordinance took another couple months past the fire so there was plenty of time to understand it was going to have a, it was going to cause problems, and the the current East Lane Commissioner voted for that ordinance. You know, yeah. it passed on a three two vote, and, and you know she actually added problems to fire victims with additional red tape. Not to mention all the rest of the county that it added problems for, and we've been talking most of the show about. How much housing costs. <laughs> yeah. It's exactly. one more piece of the housing puzzle. Sorry, Harry, I had to jump in there and just get that in just because I had to get that off my chest. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's great.
2: I was actually going to wrap up and, and let you guys get back to the conversation. But, um, you know, I think you bring up a great point, you know, decisions have ripples and, and we, uh, it seems like we're making a lot of things in the short term without looking at the long term. And, um, you know, Jay, I love that you brought up when asked, do we know why Bimart is shutting down pharmacies and, and you know, that are, that are the only source for some rural residents? Um, if people had known that the corporate activities tax was going to because Bimart to shut down pharmacies, would they still have wanted to pass that? And, uh, you know, with, with that, I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys get back to it. And uh, it's still too early to say who I'm voting for, but, Kyle, I love that you're running and um, – or supporting, I guess. Kyle, I love that you're running and presenting some options. So uh, thank you much.
1: I appreciate that. Thank you. So that that that's kind of a great
0: segue because we kind of didn't get to this yet, but we sort of talked about it. And, and I I I I actually said, I think in a moment of madness, you agreed to, to run. But um, what what is really, you know, we, we've sort of touched on things, but just kind of, you know, give me your 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 three biggest reasons why you decided you wanted to be a Lane County commissioner.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think one was the holiday farm fire and watching that, that event take place and, and exactly what we just talked about. I think that was one of the big ones that, that, you know, driving through there um, talking to you know friends that that lived up there, that lost homes and and hearing their stories and talking to clients. It, it just hit me to the point where I was like, this, this can't happen again. I mean, it, it shouldn't have happened the first time, but if there's other natural disasters of some kind, is this, is this what it's going to look like every time? If there's a flood, if there's an earthquake, if there's another fire, um, are we just going to let these people sit and wait because we we just don't care enough or we're just not active enough? And then are we going to change the permitting process to make it that much more difficult to, to rebuild when it is time? It, you know, that was one of the, the big issues. Um, you know, as we spoke about, too, the, the public safety, you know, I think, you know, I, I've had a business down... You know, been downtown uh, for the last eight years and walking around, seeing kind of the way the city has has moved to the direction of crime and homelessness and drugs on the street. Um, you know, we've our businesses in our area had to hire private security to protect our properties, protect, you know, our our staff and our people and our clients walking out of our our offices. And that just blows me away that, that that's where our city is right now. I think that you know there's there's plenty of of issues underlying for why homelessness exists, and I'm sure we could get into that, but that's that's a long conversation obviously but at the at the heart of it 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 needs to be handled if you're doing drugs on the street, if you're breaking in and stealing, if you're trespassing you can't be out there. you have to be moved on. You have to have a police force that can help them and a jail system that can help them get out of the way. If there is mental health issues, I know we have plenty of great nonprofits and things like that, that are helping, but those are usually underfunded or, you know, they're the cost, you know, to, to run them is extravagant. And so you can only help so many people. Um, I think that's another one that I think needs a real needs to be flipped on the head and, and needs to, to, to adjust. So I think those are the, the two main ones that, that have been something that I've I've seen and experienced that I think growing up in this community, it, it shouldn't be that way. Um, and that is, you know, a, a third one I think is really just the financing, you know, putting money where it's supposed to go, managing our county the right way, helping our rural communities create jobs and, and, and keep people in those small communities because people don't all want to live in Eugene or Springfield. Some people want to live in Oak Ridge or outside of Crestwell or, you know, wherever it may be, we need to have opportunities for them to work in those areas, to live in those areas. Um, you know, I think Oak Ridge is a great example of a community that has been a little bit forgotten about. Um, there's opportunities for business there. There's opportunities for jobs there that, that they, the current leadership has has ignored. As you've touched on, I think I think those are the, the main three issues: is, is fixing the issues with our permitting process and our ability to build and where to build. Um, public safety, homelessness is kind of one and the same different, but it, it, it can be incorporated. And then, you know, helping our, our small communities have businesses, have ability to work in their own community.
0: Great. Well, I just really appreciate you taking the time to come on the Bo's Nose Show. Um, Got about five minutes left in the show. So if somebody wants to sneak in and ask Kyle a question like Harry did, 646-721-9887. We still have time. And because we are, you know, on this internet format, we don't always have to cut off right on the hour. So if we're in the middle of a good conversation, we'll 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 stay on for a bit as long as Kyle is, is tolerant enough to be with us. Uh, of course.
1: <laughs> Happy to be here.
0: But yeah. Here on student-run radio, as as Robin and I like to to jokingly, you know, refer to it at times. Um, Yeah, it it just—I—I get the frustration around the holiday farm fire. Uh, You know, my path as a civil engineer means I'm in pretty good touch with a lot of contractors and and builders and and architects that are serving some of the folks trying to rebuild upriver. And the stories I hear, and then I talk to other county you know one of the things once you're a county commissioner you'll kind of start to get to know county commissioners from other counties through the association of oregon counties uh similarly you probably starting to get to know city councilors yeah. from other cities through um, the league of oregon cities um I'm, I'm talking with you know like kevin cameron up there in marion county yeah we're 36 52 percent permits issued for reconstruction. So they're over half of their homes that, that in unincorporated Marion County are permitted and ready to, to you know being reconstructed. We're barely above a third. Just to kind of so there's that kind of lag and it was it was worse before um, sure the legislature actually stepped in and rescued um, some of the citizens up there from our our progressive board's floodplain mistake. Um there is a bill called House Bill twenty two eighty nine that basically said if you had a house before the fire and can demonstrate you legally had a house before the fire, you can get a permit to rebuild that house no matter what the land use laws say. You skip the planning yeah. process and go straight to building permit. And That's what, what that- should be. Yeah, and and it also basically said, and it rolls back any new floodplain requirements that were passed beyond a certain date. So it kind of got rid of our floodplain ordinance for those folks up there. But that took the legislature pulling Lane County's, you know, butt out of the so to speak. You know, what's really sad, though, is... The legislature passed that with an emergency clause because, you know, they wanted to have it be effective immediately to help people get their building permits and not get caught up in Oregon's horrible land use laws. The governor signed that, like on a Friday, so the next Tuesday we're having a board meeting, I asked our board to direct staff to immediately implement that bill and take the most liberal interpretation on the side of the permit applicants to, to basically get them into building permits, and my progressive members of my board would not support giving that direction immediately. They wanted to wait for staff to give them a report back about what that bill meant. Now, mind you, the so they- bill development for months, and the and the governor took like three or four weeks to sign it. So it'd been just sitting on her desk, you know, ready. So we knew what was in the bill but they, they wouldn't give that direction and it took a month for that report back to come from staff. So we basically didn't implement that for, there's another month of delay, you know?
1: Right. right. And it's just
0: time and time again, you can look at what our board was doing with helping what that was not helpful or was untimely when it came to trying to get people their permits up river. Um, yeah. So- it's,
1: its It, it seems like they were just they just kind of put their head in the sand did they i mean did they not go up there and see what what the devastation was and how many homes were actually lost? did they not go to I, spend time at at least anybody
0: I'll give Commissioner Buck some credit. she has spent a significant amount of time up there. I just don't think she's done some of the right things um in a timely fashion you know her sure. her you know. I don't know how well she understood oregon's land use laws before she became a commissioner she had no elected experience you know uh, she basically was a property manager you know so Mm -hmm. that's her experience she does have you know her dad is you know terry mcdonald that runs saint vincent de paul that make her terry mcdonald um you know she basically had no no elected experience and uh has been on on a learn as you go (laughs) sort yeah. of thing. I think some of it shows up there. I will say though yeah. with the fire, the one place I you know I can't fault is our emergency response in the moment was very good. I oh. our deputies risked their oh. lives evacuating people and the loss of life in Lane County was minimal compared to where it was in some other counties. And the evacuation yeah. was done so much better. So Absolutely. I, I, that portion I can't fault. But you know what? Some of that stuff was set up before this board was even in place.
1: <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. I mean, they were they were prepared for that at, at some yeah. level prior to that. Um, yeah. yeah I mean, hats, hats off to all those first responders, man. Yeah. yeah. All right.
0: And on that note, I think we're just about, you know, done with our hour here. Kyle, I want to thank you very much for yeah. coming on the show. And uh, best of luck. Real quick, website. Facebook page, how people can contribute to your campaign.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, website is kyleblaine.com. Uh, Blaine is B-L-A-I-N, um, and then Facebook page Kyle Blaine for Lane County. Um, I'm I'm there. We're we're up and running. Um, if you want to reach out, all my contact information is on there: email, cell phone. You can message me. Um, happy to answer any questions, have a conversation, whatever um whatever comes up. So I look forward to uh meeting more of you out there and hopefully you'll you'll see me soon. All right. I appreciate well, thank- it all the time. All right.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Kyle, and, and uh have a great week. Well thank you for listening to Bo's Nose Show. We'll be back next week at this same time coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Have a great week.